We got some much-needed clarification on the Sooners' secondary situation last week. DB's coach, Kerry Cooks, met with the media last Tuesday and laid out what to expect from the position battles at safety and maybe even at cornerback. Jordan Parker, who missed basically all of last season after tearing his ACL in Game 1 against UTEP, has switched to safety, as we know, and according to Cooks, is in the running for the starting strong safety job. Competing with Parker will be senior Khalil Houghton, a player who made four starts in 2017, two of them at free safety when Will Johnson was out, and Houghton also made a pair of starts when the Sooners opened games in their nickel package. At free safety, Cook said Robert Barnes will battle with redshirt freshman Justin Broyles for the starting job. Barnes made one start at free last season when both Johnson and Houghton were banged up, and those who follow the program know that Barnes himself had injury issues last season as well. Broyles redshirted in 2017. He was a cornerback in high school, but now he's switched positions like Jordan Parker, and it sounds like Broyles is a viable position at safety. You may have noticed we've covered both safety spots and haven't mentioned a certain someone. What about Buki? Well, Cooks said that Buki is primarily playing nickelback right now. Cooks citing Buki's versatility and thickness to be able to come off the edge when needed. Basically, it sounds like they're comfortable with the true freshman playing at times as a hybrid linebacker, which a nickelback is asked to do on occasion. As for cornerback, it sounds like Parnell Motley and Trey Norwood are entrenched as the starters. Cooks did mention Trey Brown in addition to Motley and Norwood, so there is a scenario where Brown blows away the coaching staff in fall camp and wins one of those starting spots. But Motley and Norwood will get the first crack at keeping their jobs. While those who follow the Sooners team, this Sooners team in particular, may be concerned about the secondary this season, mainly the safety situation, I do not share those same worries. You know, we've said it many times on this podcast. Defensive back is the deepest and most talented group on this OU team. Sure, there's a little uncertainty at safety, but players in the secondary should be used to changing positions. It's not that big of a deal. If you've got the talent and you want to play a lot of snaps, it's easy to make the transition to a new spot and eventually play the position competently. However, I do have one question about the secondary that has not yet been answered. Is this OU defense going to play nickel as its base in 2018? I'm wary of a base nickel defense, but I'm open-minded and am willing to be convinced otherwise. The way I see it, if Mike Stoops decides to play five defensive backs a vast majority of the time this fall, it's because Brendan Buki Radley Hiles is the real deal. And we could be looking at one of the best secondaries that OU has produced in a long time. That's the hope, considering the talent in that DB room. I'm Lee Benson. This is West of Everest. Oklahoma has now outscored its opponents in the second quarter over the season, 140 to 10. Intercepted by Sonny Brown. Inside the 30, not done yet. Inside the 15-yard line of Penn State. 12th play of the drive coming up. 9-10 to go, third quarter. They're going to air it out again. Long ball. Timpson's out there. Intercepted again. Sonny Brown comes down with his second of the night. Yeah, this Sonny Brown's done some job for the Sooners, though. He's picked up two, and the Penn State drive is dead. We travel back more than 30 years as Sonny Brown welcomes us into this latest edition of West of Everest. Brown picked off Penn State quarterback John Schaefer twice en route to being named the MVP of the 1986 Orange Bowl. OU topped Joe Paterno and the Nittany Lions 25-10 as the Sooners won the program's sixth 
National Championship. Hey everyone, once again, I'm Lee Benson. Grant will join us in a moment. The calendar has turned to August and OU begins fall camp this Friday. Our off-season patience will soon be rewarded because football season is nearly upon us. Coming up today on the show, we've got a healthy number of listener questions to answer, ranging from OU's best and worst case scenarios this season to the pecking order at running back. Also, we'll discuss other fall camp position battles because we've got some audio to play from Bill Biedenboe, Jay Bulware, and Calvin Thibodeau. First up, though, I'd like to thank all of you out there listening and supporting the show. We continue to increase our ratings and reviews on iTunes, so thanks for that. If you'd like to take the moment and rate the show and or leave a review on iTunes, please feel free to do so. West of Everest is also available on SoundCloud if you're not an iTunes user. If you're on Facebook, stay up to date with the show by locating the West of Everest Facebook page and giving us a like. Also, if you're interested in a little behind-the-scenes aspect of the show, Facebook is the place to go. Grant and I always get on Facebook Live for the opening take of each episode. That comes, obviously, uh, at the start of each recording of the podcast. We do that on Tuesdays. If you catch us on the live feed on Facebook Live, feel free to jump in the comments, say hi, ask us a question, give us your thoughts as well. We'll do our best to get back to you. Also, if you've got any questions or comments, in addition to the Facebook Live stuff, you can drop those on the Facebook page or the old-fashioned way. You can email the show. The email address is westofeverest at gmail.com. And if you're on Twitter and you like to tweet and follow people on Twitter, you can go ahead and follow me on Twitter. I'm at Lee Benson News 9 and Grant's on Twitter as well. Grant is at GrantBenson25. I'm sure a lot of uh, our Twitter content will start to rise as we get closer and closer to football and we start to, to have a lot more thoughts on uh, games and other scenarios surrounding college football and also the NFL if you know that as well of course Baker Mayfield a huge talking point coming up this NFL football season so with that behind us it's time to say hello to Grant for the first time today Grant what's going on nothing much Lee Baker Mayfield's having a good camp I hear by the way yeah, and uh, our very own, well, I say uh, our, I guess my uh, my boss, Dean Blevins, got a chance to go to Berea, Ohio, to check out training camp for a day and talk to Baker, and that was pretty cool. We, uh, If you're a follower on Facebook and you can you can check into the News 9 Sports Facebook page, we have some Baker posted there as well. And the most interesting question that Dean asked Baker that I thought at least Browns related was basically, how do you feel compared to Tyrod Taylor right now? And Baker's answer was about standard, but still, it was nice to hear somebody ask him that question because I wasn't, I hadn't heard that yet. I hadn't heard anybody ask Baker, hey, like, when you're up there with Tyra Taylor, how do you compare to him right now? So it was nice to hear that because I think you and I, maybe at least I have, I've been on, on record as saying in the summertime, you know, when the draft happened in training camp, sure, Tyra Taylor's better than Baker Mayfield. But I have a feeling, though, by the time week one comes around, I would not be surprised. I think Baker Mayfield would, by week one will will be a better quarterback than Tyrod Taylor and that is including the fact that Taylor is a veteran in this league I just think Baker's more talented than Tyrod Taylor I think it's just simple as that what do you think it's a hot take um you know I I mean Tyrod Taylor was fine in college he wasn't a world beater and yeah I mean it it means something to have experience in the NFL like Taylor does he's he's a solid quarterback but the main thing is with him is that he just doesn't turn the ball over which means he doesn't really take a whole lot of risks which means his his ceiling is very low and I think Mayfield's ceiling is much higher. Yeah, I mean, I think we've probably seen the best already of Tyrod Taylor. Um, you know, maybe this year will yield some different results for him just because he's going to have a little bit more offensive talent around him. 
but uh, it's 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 still too early to say. The the Browns do kind of seem like they're very very set on having Tyrod Taylor as the as the quarter as a starting quarterback and having Baker just kind of sit around for a year. They they continue to say that. So until anything changes, I'm just going to go ahead and believe that line. It's not like it's them running out Tyrod Taylor. It's not like they're running out like I'm trying to think here, like Jimmy Clausen or something. That's not or, what this or is. Or Deshaun Kaiser from last year. Or Deshaun Kaiser, yeah. So I mean, this is Tyrod Taylor is a guy who has who has put up some decent numbers in, in the National Football League, and a guy who has generally not looked overwhelmed while while being a starting quarterback. So um, it's certainly a bit of a different situation. I'm I I'm not expecting Baker Mayfield to be the starter. Would it surprise me? A little bit, but it, I mean, it wouldn't shock me at all. Yeah, and Hugh Jackson reiterated once again this week, I think on Monday, that Tyrod Taylor is the starting quarterback. However, I will say uh, last week, and we'll get on to OU real quick. I just want to make this real quick point. The, it was the first time I heard Tyrod Taylor, and I shouldn't say heard. I read a quote from, uh, not Tyrod Taylor, I read a quote from Hugh Jackson, the Browns head coach. It's the first time since the draft that kind of made it seem like they were open to Mayfield actually winning the job in camp, he was quoted as saying, "If something along the lines of if Baker wins the job, we won't hold him back." So that was the first time I saw a quote where Hugh Jackson actually acknowledged that there might be an opportunity or a chance that Mayfield actually does win the starting job, and not just, "Hey, Tyrod Taylor is our starting quarterback, no matter what." Case closed. Don't even ask me again about it. Blah blah blah. So I think that's interesting that uh, Hugh Jackson actually made that comment. So we'll see where that goes. And of course, hard knocks begins in less than a week. Yeah, Can't really, wait. really, really excited for Hard. Doesn't it? Oh, it's right. So a week. So it actually it actually starts a week from today because we're recording this on Tuesday. But correct, correct. I had to put but, two and two to, uh, together there for a bit. It was a long day, Lee. It was a long day. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. All right. So let's get to OU football real quick. And this is not a recruiting podcast, but I'll open the floor to you, Grant, if you have any comments or thoughts at all about the Champion Barbecue from this Saturday. Of course. Media is not able to go. All we know, or at least uh, a lot of things we know, came from Twitter and social media. And if you're on one of the you know recruiting pay sites, maybe there's more nuggets there. Um, I don't really have a whole lot from it. Grant, do you have any comments on the Champion Barbecue? And the reason I bring it up is because we were uh, one of the listeners was asking about it on our Facebook page. Well, it looks like it was the uh, the whole uh, the whole Jeffrey Carter situation just kind of uh, overshadowed the entire thing. It looks like, and then you had Kerry Cooks at the end um, I, with some really kind of cryptic tweets or not so cryptic tweets that that seemed to be taking a shot at a seventeen year old kid or or Texas A and M. A little bit of background on that: uh, Jeffrey Carter is a is, is a former Oklahoma commit uh, from over a year ago. He did decommit, um, I think, during the two thousand and seventeen season. Well, kind of over the last week or so, it, it became there was basically a huge tidal wave in his direction of like, oh, it, it's kind of looking like Jeffrey Carter is about to commit again to OU. Um, if you follow that twenty four seven website, there's a lot there's a lot of crystal balls going in his direction and whatnot. Um, and then so what happened was he, he was supposed to show up to this Champion Barbecue on Saturday. He tweeted out sometime in the afternoon that he wasn't going to be able to make it because of a flat tire or whatever. Um, and then about an hour after that, he had tweeted out a, a commitment video to Texas A&M. Um, and so that kind of just overshadowed the entire weekend. Um, my stance on this is um, I, I think this just kind of highlights um, kind of the weeds you can get into with recruiting. And um, I, 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 I sort of have a weird opinion about this. I, I'm, I, I don't follow this stuff incredibly uh, 
incredibly heavily. I mean, I do. I'll, I'll, I'll look at stuff just to see, you know, if there's commits or if there's a big time prospect who is who's high on the Sooners. I, I generally keep myself informed. Uh, stuff like this, though, is it gets for me. It's getting a little into the weeds. I, I'm not a huge fan of. Uh, just the games like this. It's and this is not this is not me ripping on a seventeen or eighteen year old kid doing something that a seventeen or eighteen year old kid does. Um, so I'm not going to get too bent out of shape about it. Um, I, I I do have a problem with Kerry Cooks venting frustrations on Twitter. Um, that is that that's just I, I just don't think that's something an adult should do, especially when 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 it's very reasonable that you could take it as that he's ripping on a seventeen year old kid. Um, I just don't think that's smart. Um, I think he needs uh, he needs to cut that out right now. I mean, who knows? It could be something. I mean, I, I'm sure recruits maybe see it, and you know, he, he he does a good job, obviously, of of relating to the kids and whatnot. Um, and also at the same time, even if that, I, I'm sure he would probably defend it by saying, "Hey, this was this was a rip on Texas A&M." Um, and to that, I would I would respond, "Texas A&M is uh, when compared to Oklahoma is an irrelevant football program. Period. They they haven't done anything." Um, that that would make us that that would make anybody suggest that they are on Oklahoma's level on on any level at all. So that, that's what I have to say to that. Um, and I think I I really wish that's what Kerry Cooks would have thought of when he got onto Twitter. I, I'm just not, I'm not a huge fan of it. There's these are 17 and 18 year old kids. 17 and 18 year old kids do a lot of stupid stuff. Um, and I think we should just let it go. Kerry Cooks is a darn good recruiter, and I. You know, I guess we'll give him the benefit of the doubt here. Maybe there's a method to uh, to the tweets. Perhaps maybe it was one of those things where uh, the recruit maybe had given him some indications that you know he was going to be there, and maybe Kerry Cooks really thought he was going to commit. And he he even though obviously Kerry Cooks is an assistant coach at OU, and the recruit's a, a teenager, you know perhaps their relationship was was pretty good, and maybe he really felt like he was betrayed. I mean, this is all speculation who knows um and again yeah, again maybe it also like you said helps with that with other players you know other players see that and think yeah this, my, you know our coach has our back and and whatnot so i'm with you though I, I i don't get too into the recruiting as well uh this story yeah did seem to overshadow a lot of it we saw one eyeballs emoji come out from lincoln riley on saturday uh, at this time i'm not even sure if it's clear who that recruit or who that commitment uh, came from. Uh, so as far as the the barbecue goes, from what I I hear, everything went great. It was a fun time. Uh, there's a video going around Twitter of a big water balloon fight and everything. But he was having a great time. And I know there were some pictures of Lincoln Riley just soaked in water. And I know even the the new OU president was out there, uh, James Gallagher. And I'm pretty sure that's how you pronounce his uh, name. And I'm, I've heard that he's a really cool guy, and he was out throwing water balloons and getting doused, and they were just dumping water on him too. So I know Oklahoma wants to set the precedent of come here, uh, get to know us as a family, let us get to know your family, and uh, that's that's what the Champion Barbecue is all about. So uh, it sounds like it went well, and, and it, it is kind of uh, annoying that the whole, uh, I guess, uh, recruiting Twitter snafu happened. It, it seems kind of dumb but uh i guess that stuff happens whenever uh there's all these high high star highly rated recruits and they have lots of options so yeah and if, if anybody wants you know background on that i the the general theory is that somebody at texas a&m i mean if, if it did come from texas a&m probably jimbo fisher or someone who handles recruiting over there the the theory from the oklahoma side or the social media or whatever is basically that this was a long uh setup 
troll job by Jeffrey Carter put on by Texas A&M. That, that's the theory. Uh, do I believe that? I have no idea. Um, does it matter? No. It does just doesn't matter. Um, Jeffrey uh, Oklahoma is going to win with or without Jeffrey Carter. Uh, that's that's really all that needs to be said. I'd probably feel a little different about this if it was a really big time four or five star defensive lineman because I you know me I'm really wanting Oklahoma to get more of those guys. But Oklahoma's been stacking it up in the secondary. So yeah, I mean he's a good player from what I hear. But I think Oklahoma can can get by without him as you said. So. Uh, good luck to him at Texas A&M, and uh, generally I agree with you when it comes to comparing Oklahoma and Texas A&M. Historically, certainly, uh, the Aggies are pretty much relevant, but hey, they're trying to get out of that with uh, Jimbo Fisher, and as far as I'm concerned, that's a pretty good hire. So yeah, I, I I'm thought curious was... to see what happens with Jimbo Fisher in the te- Texas A&M era. Yeah, and, and just to put a bow on it one more time, just say, I mean, um, Champion Barbecue, I think that's obviously just an example of um, just the direction that they're going in recruiting. They have Annie Hansen, who is now their uh, like their president of recruiting. They actually hired someone to run their recruiting operation, which is paying dividends and and these are the type of events they're probably going to be putting on for you know for years to come. So um, obviously, it's good to see the the you know the change of direction in recruiting for the program. Um, unfortunately, just like you know what it takes to get kind of the high profile players these days, you got to do a bunch of a lot of social media stuff. You, you got to be out there and and a lot of that, a lot of the recruiting tactics these days are, are stuff I'm just not particularly sharp on or or know a ton about. Um, so what I'm hoping from from a personal standpoint, and of course it's totally okay if if, if other people feel differently, I'm hoping that the, this champ this champu barbecue weekend um, is kind of the last we hear of recruiting until January, or or at least until we, and, and at least until you know the the early signing period, or if they get any big commits. I, I hope this is kind of just the last we hear of recruiting, um, especially with football actually starting on Friday. And yeah, that's the thing. You and I, we care. We're not as plugged into recruiting because to us, that's all the future. It's way down the line, and. I'm a lot more interested in the present day and the current Oklahoma football team because that's what we're all here for. We're all here to watch this current team. And, uh, you know, of course, it's great to have good recruiting classes, but that's down the line. We got to wait. And we've already been waiting long enough for football season to get here. So let's get back and let's talk about this current team because we're less. We're about a month away from game number one. So let's uh, get back to kind of where I was going with my opening take kind of where I left off there and that's where we're gonna we're gonna move on to so I mentioned that I'm weary of a base nickel defense so here's why historically five defensive backs on the field is meant for likely passing situations which makes you susceptible then to giving up yards in the run game it makes you think well it's a big 12 there's a lot of passes so you know more passes and runs blah 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 but okay I, I, I can buy that uh, but OU is a team who of course was brutal at stopping the run last season Oklahoma was not good at it and they weren't even a predominant nickel defense so that's why the idea of having five DBs on the field the majority of the time uh, worries me however though I will acknowledge again that a base nickel package can work if the nickel back can play like a hybrid linebacker when he's called upon meaning even if there is five DBs on the field that fifth D back can still come up fill gaps stop the run like a traditional linebacker is asked to do and I'd like to think that Buki is capable of doing that uh, but at the same time I'm not really sure because you know what do we really know about the guy uh, I mean, we know 
some things, but not everything. So the only thing that I'm very confident in right now in regards to Buki is that he can cover. I believe he'll be able to play steady man and zone coverage throughout the season in the secondary. Uh, as far as playing like a linebacker and tackling things like that, I'm assuming he's good at that, but I don't know. Uh, so Grant, when you learn that Buki is predominantly playing nickel right now, uh, are you kind of like me and are you thinking that the implication is that Oklahoma is leaning towards a play more of a base nickel defense this year? And if so, what are your thoughts? I hope so, because I think that's the best way to play defense in the big 12. Um, and that's just kind of the way that things are trending right now. Um, getting as many defensive backs on the field as you possibly can. Um, so just, just an, an explanation as to why it's trending this way. The whole idea is, you know, if you have that third linebacker on the field, uh, and, and on the strong side in the Sam spot, um, the idea is that linebacker is going to struggle in coverage and in the, in the big 12, when they have so many small slot receivers or, uh, you know, slot tight ends, like a Mark Andrews type, generally those are guys that are just matchup nightmares for linebackers. And so the idea is that you get an extra defensive back on the field, um, to basically to, to take away that option from the other team. Um, and you're right, that exposes you in other, in, in other areas as well. And so my very first thought, because I know you brought up your concern of stopping the run, uh, playing a nickel defense and stopping the run, it only works, Lee, if you play an aggressive style of defense. You have to be aggressive with your gap assignments. Um, so basically, I mean, to, to comment on what you said, or I, I know you're concerned about the run, um, if they come out in a base nickel defense and they're not a more aggressive defense, it's it's likely going to be the same, a, a very similar result as last year against the run, to be honest with you. Um, there's other factors into it as well. It didn't help last year that you had Kenneth Marie, a true freshman starting, and he, he had trouble with his gap assignments. Um, you had Emmanuel Beal on the weak side, who I think was physically limited. Um, so that obviously doesn't help. Um, and, and of course, this year too, they're, they got a little bit more experience on a defensive line as well. So um, I... I I like the idea of going to nickel because it allows you to be a little more versatile, a little more multi, a little more multiple. Um, and honestly, you know, the they got a lot of corners uh, on their team right now, and I think just doing this is is, is going to allow you to put your best players on the field as well. Um, so, I are they going to be moving to a nickel? I it looks like that, and I hope so because I think that would be keeping with the times, to be honest with you. Uh, but would it surprise me if they roll out, you know, that that kind of hybrid three four four three look that they did pretty much all of last season? It wouldn't surprise me. You know, we heard we heard all of last year that we were going to see four three, and we did see four three last year, but we didn't see the traditional four three. Um, and I think a lot of that probably had to do with injuries and other things that they they couldn't foresee, you know, in the spring and in the fall before a lot of stuff happened. Uh, we'll see though. But yes, obviously, Buki it looks like is giving them an option at nickel, and that's that's important because that nickel back can be a really versatile player and. There is evidence in the past that suggests that when Mike Stoops feels like he is comfortable at, at the nickel position or, or comfortable in the secondary with some guys that he can really lean on is when he really ratchets up the pressure. At least that's what he did uh, in, in his first stint as defensive coordinator at Oklahoma. So let's, you know, let's hope that uh, that philosophy or whatever is, is, is still inside of him. And something that we didn't touch on at all last week after Oklahoma media day Mike Stoops did mention that this year they're looking to be a lot more multiple defensively, and so that would uh, kind of parrot what you were talking about, how Oklahoma maybe would be more multiple and play a lot more nickel. So uh, it seems like putting those two and two together, then maybe they are trending more to that nickel-based defense, and Buki seems like he's the key to it. 
And when and, and when Mike Stoops says he wants them to be more multiple, a lot of the time he's he's talking about like their assignments. He wants to be multiple in their assignments. So that's that's playing like two gap techniques and, and whatnot and stuff like that. And so like when when I say last year when they were showing a lot of three four looks, but they actually were in four three assignments, I think that's what he means by being multiple. Um, and I'm I it's it's not a philosophy I'm super super high on uh, because you 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 got to have awesome players to do it um, and. Obviously, the talent level is getting better on this Oklahoma defense, but I don't know if I would go as far as to say there's any awesome players on this defense. What are your thoughts on the two safety position battles? Because now we have names. We now know from Kerry Cooks who the players are that will be battling for the free and the strong safety positions. Are the names that he mentioned the players that you figured would be battling for the spots, or are they different? Uh, I'm a little confused, to be honest with you. Um I don't I, I don't understand why Jordan Parker is on the strong side. Um, the, the strong side typically is, is the guy who you're going to be putting in the box, the guy who's the surest tackler, which which leads you to believe Cleo Houghton has that has that position completely sewn up. Um, well, let me stop you real quick. Uh, Cooks did make a comment the other day last week. We talked to him that uh, he mentioned that Jordan Parker uh, in 20. I guess it would have been 2016 because obviously last year his season was cut short. He did mention back in 2016 when Parker was playing all the time he mentioned that he thought that parker was one of oklahoma's best tacklers that season so oh, i didn't okay. watch a whole lot of 2016 so i mean you watched a lot more of 2016 than i did so i don't know if that's true yeah i might you be remember remem- back so um i might be remembering that a little differently than Kerry cooks um so i thought i thought i I, have, I had the same thoughts in 2016 about jordan parker very similar thoughts about jordan parker in 2016 that i did about trey norwood last year as in he was a lot better than who he replaced but he still they neither of them really did anything to make me super excited. So Jordan Parker last year was I was excited because he was a true freshman who had started eight games, um, and that's you know that's significant. And he was just a guy you know back there who who still had you know the capability of getting better. But he never did anything his freshman season that wowed me. And the same is the same with with Trey Norwood. So um, what Kerry Cook says about that, I, I just I don't really remember because I don't remember Jordan Parker doing anything particularly spectacular in 2016, other than just not being one of those guys who was part of the revolving door at cornerback that you know made it so that he had to start in the first place. And with Trey Norwood last year, it's the same with you know with Jordan Thomas. So um, we'll see. I don't know. I'm I, I I do not share your optimism for for the safety group. I think. Uh, you saying that it's not a big deal to change positions. I think that's very naive. This is major Division One college football, playing in a conference that throws the ball more than anybody else and really puts their safeties and uh, really puts safeties in binds with with a lot of route combinations, the amount of receivers they put on the field. Uh, safety is arguably the hardest position to play in the Big Twelve. Um, I think you're being a little naive. Um, I think it's totally fair to call safety a big question mark this year. Um, and I know, you know, Khalil Houghton, you could argue was was maybe the most consistent of all the safeties last year. No, really none, you know, uh, no huge bust or anything like that. Generally a pretty sure tackler. Um, but it's not like he's amazing. He hasn't, he hasn't had an amazing career at Oklahoma. And then after that, you got a bunch of guys who just really don't have a whole lot of experience. A guy with Robert Barnes, who has made a glass seemingly, um, Jordan Parker, who's never played the position before, uh, and coming off an ACL, so I'm 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 still concerned about Jordan Parker's ACL. Um, I I don't know. I I it's going to be interesting for sure. And, and you got you have Justin Broyles, who who is also a, a converted corner there. 
the I, I think you're you're gonna get a an upgrade in, in athleticism at the safety position, I think, especially, you know, in that spot that Will Johnson manned. I, I think I think I, I I said this to you last week. I don't I can't reference it on the podcast, but I think Will Johnson and Emmanuel Beal uh were the two least talented defensive starters of the Stoops Riley era. And that's not that's not to bang on them. They're 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 better players than some more talented guys who have started probably. But I think in terms of physicality, uh, they left a little bit to be desired um, in terms of what you're looking for at those positions. So you're definitely going to get an upgrade, I think, in terms of athleticism and physicality at those positions. But I, there there's just not a whole lot of experience back there, and I think that's that's very significant in the Big Twelve, Lee. Yeah, I'm just not I'm not that concerned because I think talent is so important. And again, I. I know, I, again, this was off, off the podcast, but, and this is different, but it really, I played, I played uh, you know, free, free safety and cornerback in high school. Yeah, I know it's not college, but it, in, in the secondary and in, in high school, players switch positions all the time. They're doing it all the time at Oklahoma. Other teams are doing it too. Uh, if Jordan Parker wants to play, he's going to have to play safety, and he hasn't played a, much, so, I mean, it's, there's a there's a chance that this entire time when he's been rehabbing and things like that, he's kind of known that he's going to probably switch positions, so he's probably planning on it. Uh, there's lots of time to prepare for these position changes, and once I get out there, they're going to learn, and then you're going to see that it's not their assignments. Everything is not going to be that difficult. I mean, it's all about them just watching film, being smart, and not biting on stuff, and just and just being confident in their abilities. Um, I will say I'm kind of surprised that – I'm not surprised, but uh, you know, with Khalil Houghton competing for the strong safety job, he's more of a free safety. At least that's what he's played mostly. Uh, it makes sense, though, to me because Houghton, he's a good tackler, and apparently so is Jordan Parker, so that's why they're going at it. And it makes sense more because they clearly want to get Robert Barnes in at free safety because he's got that talent. He was a five-star, I believe, rivals. I know he's had injury problems, but they're clearly trying to pave the way for him to get reps and get snaps at free safety because they clearly want him to play that position and maybe even Justin Broyles too if, if they're going to go ahead and give him a shot but uh, it's, it's a question of who's going to come out on top and who's going to win these starting starting jobs but I, I'm really not that concerned about the secondary in general. Well, I'm, I'm concerned is maybe not a great because uh, I, I, I I'm very high on the corners I think I think they're going to roll out you know, three or four guys out there who can who can play man to man coverage above average, and I, that's incredibly significant. Um, I, I just think it's 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 really difficult uh, still. I mean, in the Big Twelve, when you have so many slot receivers who are going to be, uh, you know, I just I can already picture. I like that they're going to get a lot of reps. And, yeah, I like a lot it. of reps so at it. I love I'm, that. <laughs> I, I think I, I think best case scenario for Oklahoma is that is that Khalil Houghton and Robert Barnes lock that thing down right at the beginning of camp. I think that's by far best case scenario. Um, if that if, if that doesn't happen right at the beginning of camp, I, I think it's it's very very fair to start worrying about safety. If Barnes and Houghton come out and lock those down within the first week of camp, then I, I will start to feel a lot better. If they don't, um, there's probably going to be some issues back there. What about the cornerback position, Grant? Uh, it sounds like Parnell Motley, Trey Norwood, like I said earlier, are pretty much entrenched as uh, as the starters. I know that you didn't. I don't think you really heard anything that Kerry Cook said, but um, the thoughts of Trey Brown coming up. Um, I suppose, like I said, there's a there's a scenario where he could be really good and he could actually win the job. I guess we don't know yet. We'll see. Um, I will throw one thing out there that I one little other nugget from Kerry Cook that I got. Uh, he. <laughs> And if you're a fan of Oklahoma and you watched 
all last season and you listen to this podcast, really anything, you're going to hear this and you're going to kind of shake your, not shake your, you're going to nod your head in approval and think, yep. Kerry Cooks actually said that he watched back some film from last season and looking at Trey Norwood, he said that Norwood looked like a 12-year-old boy out there. So the, the fact that he actually admitted that, I thought was kind of interesting, but then he qualified it with, uh, with saying that Norwood has put on some weight. He's put on about 8 to 12 pounds, and he can see the gains that Norwood's made with his body. Yeah, and, you know, hey, I think um, I, I think best-case scenario for Trey Norwood in his career is to turn into another guy like Zach Sanchez, which, I, which would be just fine, which would be great. Uh, a, a ball hawk back there and I think he's he's built obviously in, in in a very similar way and I and I'm guessing them offering Trey Nord was probably them going after that Zach Sanchez prototype um yeah yeah and and just just to go back uh to to Trey Brown I think everybody everybody who's a Sooner fan on on both sides of the ball probably has like their one guy that they just always love and, and think that they're you know maybe better than they really Trey Brown is my guy on defense I, I think he's um, outside of Buki, I think he's the most talented, uh, most athletic guy in the secondary, um, and, and I honestly think that it's just you're not going to keep him off the field for for very long. I don't think I, the guy the guy is just a special athlete, and he's got that twitchiness, and he just he just moves differently than everybody else. He, he's a, he's a very impressive athlete. Let's swing uh, switch things over to the offensive line. We got some clarity finally on the left and right tackle positions last week from Bill Biedenboe. Now, we know that Cordy, uh, Cordy, that Cody Ford is going to begin fall camp competing for a job at tackle, and the general consensus seems to be that Ford and Bobby Evans will be the starting tackles this fall. But we have been in the dark about which tackle positions that they would play. Well, last week, Biedenboe said that Evans and Ford will continue a rotation at left and right tackle. It sounds like this is the same thing Oklahoma did with Ford and Evans during spring practice. So, Biedenboe is going to have Evans and Ford both get reps at left and at right tackle until Biedenboe determines which player fits better in each spot. In addition, Biedenboe had this quote that sheds even more light on the current situation. Biedenboe said, quote, I think Cody right now is more comfortable on the right side, but he played better on the left side. So we'll see what happens. Uh, I've actually got some audio to play from Biedenboe talking about Cody Ford at tackle. But before we play that, Grant, are you satisfied with Biedenboe's current explanation of the tackle positions? I have. I, I don't know what that means. He's more comfortable on the right, but he actually, you know, more comfortable on the right probably means he's more comfortable with his assignments, what he's supposed to be doing on the right. Uh, but he's probably just playing better on the left. And I would assume he's playing better on the left because he's always played on the left. He's always been, you know, the left guard when he comes in. Um, I don't know what's going to happen anymore. Uh, I can't say that I love them rotating at those positions. I would much rather them just decide and, and have them there so they can practice at the positions that they're going to play. But um, you know, we'll see. That I, I clearly they're rotating because it looks like they're competing for for who wants the job. So um, until I get more information, I I, I don't know what's going to happen. I, I think I think uh, I think Bobby Evans is a better player. So I think I should you know I'm, I'm going to go ahead and give him kind of the upper hand at left tackle. But until practice part or until practice starts, I'm at the point now I got no clue. I, I think I think it's obvious that both those guys are going to be your starting tackles, but. Whether you know who's going to be on the left, who's on the right, I don't think we're any we're any more clear than we were a week ago, Lee. Yeah, I, this is super. This is this whole scenario is super interesting to me. Um, let's get to 
Bill Biedenboe's soundbite, and then we'll talk more about Cody Ford. Now, uh, you were famously skeptical about the idea of Ford making a move from guard to tackle for this season. Uh, I think you were worried about Ford's size and his ability to handle the edge, something like that. Is that about right? Yeah, it's exactly. Well, Bill Biedenboe actually had some similar concerns about Cody Ford. Here he is last week. I didn't know if he could handle the edge. You know, I didn't know, you know, where that would be. You know, he's got a little bit longer arms than his height would would lead you to believe. Um, but uh, he's a really good player, you know, and I think he's going to even get better now that he's lighter. I think he was 348 in, in, in spring, you know, and he was still moving pretty good. So I think with losing that weight, uh, he's going to be even a better player. So does that make you feel a little bit better that uh, Biedenboe was kind of kind of skeptical about forward moving spots? Yes, because it, it tells me that they they're they're thinking kind of along the same lines, and so it looks like they've they've taken the steps to uh, to make it so that the transition is smoother. So um, hey, I, I'm at the point now where where you know Bill Biedenboe has has earned uh, the benefit of the doubt. He's completely earned it. He's the best offensive line coach in the country, bar none. So he's earned it. See, I was kind of concerned that Bobby Evans hasn't outright just won the left tackle position because he was graded out so highly last year, and the easy thought was that, hey, yeah, he'll slide over to left tackle, replace Orlando Brown, and he'll be another first-round NFL draft pick ready to go to the league. But the fact that Cody Ford is clearly pushing him for that job, to me it shows that both of those players are actually really good. And Biedenboe even said last week that when Ford was injured against Ohio State a couple years ago in 2016 that – Ford was probably Oklahoma's best offensive lineman at that point. So Ford, obviously, he's kind of worked his way back from injury, played uh, a decent amount last year, started four games. He's a good player, as Bill Biedenboe said. Uh, he, he mentioned that he was at 348 in the spring. Lincoln Riley said last week that uh, Cody Ford's down to about 330 now, so he's lost anywhere from 15 to 20 pounds, probably makes him a little more agile. Um, a couple more notes on Bill Biedenboe. He... I think he said this. He says this all the time, but I'll just uh, reiterate it. He mentioned that the group of the best five linemen will play, so nothing groundbreaking there. And he did say that the uh, the Oklahoma run game will stay the same no matter who the quarterback is in there. Uh, they do have their base four or five plays where it just doesn't matter who's playing quarterback. Uh, which we could do this a whole other time if we wanted to, but we could almost try to guess what those base four and five plays are. I think we know exactly what one of those base plays GT is. counter draw is their <laughs> bread and butter. Uh, but uh, so, yeah, I, I'm, I'm pretty excited about Cody Ford and Bobby Evans because it sounds like they got some really good bookend tackles on Oklahoma. Yeah, and I'm, I'm actually really glad you brought up uh, 2016, you know, before the Ohio State game. Because if, if, if anyone wants to remember back to that summer, Cody Ford was kind of the talk of camp about how good he was um, on the offensive line. So that, you know, I'm glad you brought that up because I'd, I'd forgotten about that. Um, so, yeah, the, the rhetoric on Cody Ford going into his redshirt freshman year was what was was pretty crazy. I mean, it, it was up there. So um, I think he, you know, a lot of people sort of forgot about him last year because he's recovering from the broken leg and Ben Powers stepped in uh, after he got hurt against Ohio State and, and you know has been so good for the last two years so um, they uh, they got some options on the offensive line that, that's that that is the one position um, over the last four five six years they have had no trouble whatsoever of recruiting teaching restocking uh, Bill Biedenboe is just is is an unbelievable asset for this program it, it can't yeah, it can't just- be stated enough it just makes you wonder how long it's going to take for him to, to kind of want to dip his toe into maybe being a head coach somewhere. 
if he even has that sort of um, that sort of goal. Uh, you know, I guess we never know with some of these assistant coaches. Sometimes these assistant coaches just are happy being assistant coaches. Yeah, but well, uh, who knows? You know what? If you, if you listen to you know Nick Saban and Bob Stoops throughout the years, they'll say that hey, I want I want assistant coaches who want to be head coaches because that means they're hungry. That means they're going to work. Um, that, that's how you build an elite program. You know, you, you know if there's if there's other programs that are poaching your assistant coaches to be head coaches, you know you've done you've probably done you know s- some really good things. So it's. Uh, and you're right, yeah. Bill Biedenboe being poached uh, to be an offensive coordinator somewhere, a head coach, um, has certainly been on the back of my mind for the last three or four years because it's, um, I, I don't know how uh, how imminent it is, but it, it's going to happen eventually. Let's stay on the line, but move to the other side of the football. Mike Stoops has talked about how the defensive line is the most improved group on defense since he's, uh, well, since the last season. Uh, there seems to be three players currently anchoring that group. That's Amani Bledsoe, Kenneth Mann, and Neville Gallimore. Now, I'm on the record as saying that I'll believe the Neville Gallimore hype when I see him play well consistently, which he has not been able to do yet really at Oklahoma. Now, Gallimore is going to get the first crack at that nose guard spot in the 3-4 because of his size and his experience. And uh, he's, he's a really good athlete, as as we know, but... As you remember, Marquise Overton took that job and kind of ran with it for much of last year there in the middle. And Overton's a player who I think could be a threat to Gallimore's playing time yet again. He's going to be thinking in his head, I'm going to play a lot this year because he played a lot last year. Uh, Neville, I think, of course, everyone knows he's got all the tools. Uh, Recently, Bruce Feldman named Gallimore to his freaks list for 2018. But will Gallimore be able to finally have that breakthrough year? Listen to defensive ends coach Calvin Thibodeau on Gallimore. It's about being consistent, man. Yeah. You talk about skill set, yeah. you know, one of the best, you know, I possibly have ever seen, but he has to put it together. You know, we, we got to quit talking about upside and he got to do it. Um, he definitely took a lot of steps this spring, but now it's just about doing it in the game. You know, he's one of those guys that always really worked out well and, you know, four seven guy, convince the world. It's time for him to just show up in the game. And once he does that, I mean, the rest is history. So Calvin Thibodeau not pulling any punches on Neville Gallimore. He's basically saying what uh, all of us have been saying really for the last year or two about Neville Gallimore. What is your reaction to that quote? Hey, I'm looking forward to watching him play this year, but until Neville Gallimore produces, I will, you know, jury's still out. But yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward uh, to watching him play this year. Let's see if he really has taken that step up. He's shown flashes for sure, mostly in 2016. Um, was hurt last year, kind of lost his job last year, so... Yeah, I, I think it's completely fair to be skeptical on Neville Gallimore, but I think it's also it's also impossible not to be a little excited uh, with all the talk of him coming out of camp because the, I mean there was there was not talk like this last year with him, um, if, if you recall. So, I, yeah, yeah, there was. What was yeah, there, there was. like exactly like this? Yeah, just oh man, this guy is so big and so good, and I can't wait. Yeah, it was. No, there was there because I I remember it, and then I remember the last year, and he. He just didn't really make a whole lot of an impact. I mean, early on against UTEP and I think Tulane, he had a couple plays, but for the most part, and I know injuries, I guess, were an issue with him last year. To what extent, I don't know if that's really known. Uh, so hopefully he can stay healthy and he can prove kind of the doubters wrong. But the thing is with Neville Gallimore, man, every time I talk to him, every time I hear him talk, he's such a nice guy. You just you want, you want him to succeed. He's Canadian. He's, he's such a hard worker. That's a yes. That's why he's so nice, obviously. Uh, (laughs) 
so yeah, I mean, I there was similar talk about his athleticism and how how good he looks last year too. Around, I mean, during sure. camp for sure. Sure, and and so I'm and and I, I think the defensive line is is really interestingly because they on, on the inside of the defensive line they actually got quite a bit of depth uh, with. Uh, with Gallimore and Bledsoe, and then also with Overton and, and, and Famatu, um, who, you know, Overton, I, I said, was him and DJ Ward were the two most consistent players on the defense last year. Um, Overton's not, is not chopped liver. That guy, that guy's a, a really solid player for Oklahoma City. He's going to play a lot this year. Um, mm-hmm. And then a lot of people forget about Dylan Famatu as well, who didn't blow me away or anything last year, but um, he's, he's a big body and that's experience on the defensive line. I, I'm still concerned about defensive end. They don't got any defensive ends on the, on the roster, so I, I'm just really concerned. They have really like the the defensive end position that they want to play this year. They have three on the roster. They have three defensive ends. They have uh, they have Kenneth Mann, Ronnie Perkins, and Isaiah Thomas. And Isaiah Thomas, we have to put you know a, a missing persons report out for him because we haven't heard anything about him in in a year and a half of him being on campus. So. Um, I, I think they got quite a bit of depth on, on the interior of that defensive line. I'm really concerned about defensive ends. Very concerned. Well, here's a, uh, a wild card defensive end that could actually end up being a player that we talk about a lot this year. That's Tyree Slot. Yeah, Tyree Slot. Yeah, thanks for, for bringing that. That would be the, the one kind of... We're, I, we're obviously going to see quite a bit of Tyree Slot under that He's context. He's a big, big boy. He played a little bit last year. Calvin Thibodeau talked about him last week. He said that Locke came out of the spring around 280, and now he's up to over 300, 303. Okay, um, so that and, and then so that, that begs the question. Is, and he's moving well, too. How is he going to – that begs the question. I mean, that's the size – I mean, that's big. That's, that's really big for a defensive end. That, that's more of the size of like a three-tech defensive tackle, kind of like what Imani Bledsoe oh, yeah. is going to be love playing. Oh, uh, which is great. I, I just I'm um, maybe I'm all, will just be very flexible. I, I'm all for them putting a big a big body on the edge. Uh, you know I'm. It just confuses me with what they're trying to do on defense. I, I have no idea what they're. There trying was talk to do about Gallimore playing defensive end last year too. That's what he. Well, that's what that's what he played in the three four. Um, I, I I'm I'm really okay. confused. They they really I. And until well, we actually see them, tackle. I can't remember. And no, great. you're right. I mean, Tyree Slot is listed as a defensive end on, on the roster. Yeah, yeah. So, um, and if he's three, I, I just I have no idea what they're doing on the defensive line. I'm very confused. I'll, I'll I'll go ahead and throw my hands up right now and admit it. I got no idea what's going on on the defensive line. Well, Thibodeau says they've got ten to eleven guys on the D line, so he's actually impressed with the depth. Kind of like it sounded like you were a little impressed too. And he did mention also Thibodeau did that this is the most experienced defensive line group that he's. That he's seen since he's been a coach yeah, at Oklahoma. The, the interior, the, the, I'm, but I I don't know. I'm because Tyrese Lott at three oh three. That does not sound like a like a defensive end to me. That sounds like a you know, it's a big boy. A, he's a really big guy, and I I love size on the defensive line. But I don't I, how I don't know how he's going to play on the edge. He, he's he's like he's literally like sixty pounds heavier than Kenneth Mann, and they play the same position. That doesn't really make any sense to me. I guess we'll find out more unless as it, camp goes on. Unless he is going to play, you know, unless he is going to be a defensive end when they are in the straight up 3-4. That would be the only way that would make sense. Let's talk more defensive news and notes, more from the assistant coaches. Uh, Tim Kish had a couple quotes. He said that uh, he's expecting a big jump from Kenneth Murray because of Murray's confidence level, and he has a better understanding now of the position that he's playing. So... 
nothing uh, nothing too groundbreaking there, but um, it's nice to know that uh, everyone seems to be hoping that Kenneth Murray is going to play a lot better. Uh, more on the uh, Will linebacker spot, the Will linebacker battle, if you will. We learned, you know, last week Caleb Kelly is going to be uh, fighting for a job with Curtis Bolton and Kish said that Bolton is definitely competing for a starting job. How much of that is to get Caleb Kelly a little bit of a fire under his you know under his skin to keep, get him going, you know, who knows. I I'm, Ke- Kelly is surely uh, probably going to win that job, surely probably. But uh that's still kind of interesting. I mean, we'll definitely ask questions about that as camp goes on. Yeah, I mean, they're yeah, they're Go going ahead. out of their way to say it, but like you know, I, I I thought they made it very clear at their media days that everybody is competing, and so I think that just fall, falls under this umbrella. They okay. they can they can say it with everybody. They 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 could say Prentice Mc oh no Prentice McKitty's out for the season. I'm trying to think of a guy who will uh, Troy James. Troy James is a is a, is a redshirt freshman defensive tackle. I'm sure they could come out and say he's definitely competing for a starting job, but he's got no chance to win a starting job. <laughs> Makes sense. <laughs> I do get the feeling after listening to Tim Kish talk that uh, John Michael Terry and Levi Draper are just simply depth guys that we're not going to see them starting just kind of the tone and, and what I got. He didn't have a whole lot to say about them. And that's OK. Uh, yeah, that's fine. Uh, so that, that brings me to two other players that are linebackers. Mark Jackson, who is kind of a hybrid defensive end linebacker and Ryan Jones. And that's kind of the battle. I'm guessing they're battling out it out for the Sam linebacker spot. Is that what you assume, Grant? Well, I don't know, because I said last weekly, I don't know, uh, because Mark Jackson is still listed as a defensive end linebacker on the website. So it makes me, it makes, I've, I don't know, does that mean that he is, that his experiment at Sam is over? I'm not sure. I, he, he, I, I don't think he really is what they're looking for at that position. I, I'm, the, the whole, the whole idea of, of moving Ryan Jones there was that so that he would act as kind of just like a glorified nickelback because he, you know, is a former safety I don't know if Mark Jackson playing there makes a whole lot of sense. Um, maybe they'll they'll have him there if they're in there if they're in a traditional three four look. Maybe that would look you know that would make more sense if they're going up against more of like a power team. Um, but I don't know. This is this this is certainly one of the more interesting uh, thing. I, I'm not sure. I, th- I think we're going to see quite a bit of Mark Jackson this year. I think he's going to be kind of a jack of all trades. I, I wouldn't be surprised if they move him around to to both sides. It, it uh, he seems to be a you know a player who is willing to do that. So I'm, I don't know. Until we actually get, start getting reports about where he's working at in Campley, I'm I'm kind of a wait and see on that one. I, I I think the writing on the wall right now is suggesting that Ryan Jones has that Sam linebacker spot locked down. I think he's your starting Sam. Yeah, and I you know I look at my notes more and and I think I kind of was a little off on that because I went back and yeah, Mark Jackson in the spring game he played the Jack spot mostly and yeah and Ryan Jones is at the Sam backer on his team so. Um, yeah, Mark Jackson is more of yeah one of those Jack linebacker players, and you said Jack of all trades. Yeah, I mean he he'll play where they need him. That's kind of what it was in the spring game. I mean Mark Jackson kind of moved around did kind of everything, so uh, he's he's a versatile player for sure. Yeah, and you see him he's he's a little he's a little undersized for that Jack role too. If you um, I, I'm looking at the roster right now, and so the there, there's three other guys listed kind of in that defensive end linebacker slash Jack role on the roster. 
uh, the others being Ja'Kyrie Daly, Addison Gums, and, and Jalen Redmond. Well, Daly and Gums are, are in the mid-250s in terms of size. They're, they're the size of a defensive end, um, which is kind of what you want at that jack position. Mark Jackson's at 239. He's a little undersized, kind of like Oboe was. Um, and then Jalen Redmond is, is the perfect size already. Unfortunately, he's going to miss the season. But, um, so that's why, that's why I think you know, I, I'm, it's, it's, it's kind of hard to see. Mark Jackson's a good player. I think w- whenever he's played, he hasn't, you know, he's, he's been pretty good. He had a sack against Ohio State and Columbus last year. Um, but with Gums and Daly, they, they have the size that you're looking for at that position. So I, I'm, Mark Jackson kind of confuses me. I, I'm, I'm curious as to where he's going to end up. We've got one more piece of assistant coach audio to play for you today, and it's from running backs coach and special teams coordinator Jay Bulware. And for that, let's transition into our listener questions segment. You know, I realized a couple of days ago that uh, we had some questions from back in June on Facebook that we hadn't gotten to yet. So I apologize to listener Sydney for uh, making you wait so long for our answers to these questions. Uh, His questions back in June kind of deal with Oklahoma as a whole. So we'll save those kind of for the end because we have a couple of position individual questions to get to. So first up, we have a few questions from Philip. And the first one deals with the running backs. And Philip posted this question on the West of Everest Facebook page. It says, Marcellus Sutton is from my town in LaGrange, North Carolina. Anyway, Sutton plays a significant role this year, or is the running back roster just too loaded? Now, before Grant and I give our answers to this question, let's listen to Jay Bulware on the current status of Marcellus Sutton. Sale can build off of everything. I mean, everything that he's been going through for the past year and some months here I mean he he needs to continue to improve uh, in, in his consistency area uh, with protections uh, just making sure he's on the same page as the rest of us so um, that's where he needs to get better so that's bullware on Marcellus Sutton and it's difficult to take anything other than Sutton just needs to get better at pass pro uh, you know there's nothing that'll anger a coach more and prevent a running back from getting playing time and touches more than messing up pass pro and of course also fumbling and i i'll, I'll give my spiel on marcellia sutton you know last year around this time i predicted that he would be the sooners leading rusher in 2017 and probably the worst prediction of the year and we've made fun of it a lot on this show uh sutton ended up being fourth in line behind trey sermon rodney anderson and, and abdul adams uh, he should be decidedly behind anderson and sermon this year again and although I'd like to confidently say that he'll be the clear number three guy, I'm just not sure. I think uh, Kennedy Brooks looked more than capable during the spring game. So uh, my qu- uh, my answer, Philip, is uh, I'm sorry to say, but I, I don't think it's likely that Sutton plays a significant role on this team. Uh, however, though, I would like to see if Shane Beamer's emergence on the uh, assistant coach on the roster, if you will, or as an assistant coach, maybe improves Oklahoma's kickoff return capabilities, maybe because Sutton returns kick. So. Maybe Sutton can end up being a, a good kickoff returner, but they're trying to take kickoffs out of the game, it seems like, so much. So I don't know. What do you think, Grant? Yeah, I, I don't really have much to disagree with you on your assessment. Yeah, unfortunately, I think Marcellius is, is, is pretty clearly right now probably fourth in line. Um, we don't know a whole lot about whether or not TJ Pledger is, is going to play or not this year, whether or not he's going to be a redshirt guy. Yeah, TJ Pledger was a top 100 recruit in the country, um, so it's... Uh, unfortunately, it's maybe one of those situations where Marcellus has kind of been recruited over. Um, also, the two guys last year who who decidedly out outperformed him as well. Hey, I think I think Marcellus Sutton is is probably good enough to start at seventy five percent of the programs in the country. 
Um, there's maybe, you know, you know, 20 to 30 programs in the country that, you know, Marcelli Sutton probably can't step into and start at. And unfortunately, I think Oklahoma is one of them. Uh, that doesn't mean he can't be a good player for OU. Uh, he, he could certainly be a guy who contributes on special teams. Um, Marcel, he, the guy, the guy impressed me last year when he ran. He's he's absolutely a Division One running back. Um, just you know, it credits Marcellus. He decided to come to Oklahoma and compete for jobs, um, and that's what he did. And I, I think he made a good decision. He he, he came to a a, a championship program. Um, and we'll see if he can contribute this year. You know, they haven't even put on the pads yet for fall camp. So, um, I but from the outside looking in, you know right before fall camp starts it not not looking great for Marcellius to to be a huge impact player this year on the offense um still still to be seen whether or not he can do that on special teams because I that's the door is certainly open there another question from Philip from Facebook he's asked do you guys see any concrete reasons why Oklahoma's defense would be any better this year We'll go with that one first. We have another defensive-related question from Philip, so we'll we'll answer that one first. Grant, I'll let you take the first stab at this one. Uh, yeah, just you know, just improvement from the players, individual improvement. You have Kenneth Murray, who's going to be his second his second year full time as a starter. I think you have a physical upgrade at the will linebacker position with Caleb Kelly. Uh, we'll see if he can re- regain his kind of second half of 2016 form with the position switch. Um, yeah, I, I, I think that is the easiest way the defense is going to get better just by with individual improvement of the players and just an up and upgrading of the talent level, which I think is clear. This is, I, I think this is obviously the most talented defense they've had, you know, probably since 2014, that defense had quite a bit of NFL players on it. Um, so we'll, we'll see what happens. Um, if, if, if scheme doesn't change, if, um, if attitude doesn't change, if, if they continue to kind of be a passive, uh, react defense, uh, they're not going to get a whole lot better. They, they won't. But, uh, and, you know, without, without significant, I think, uh, defensive philosophy change and without, you know, major improvement from a lot of players, yeah, I, I can totally see why this defense would, would certainly be a, you know, a weak unit again this year. I, I, I haven't taken that off the table at all. I think it's, it's obviously possible. I'll give you three reasons why this defense would be better. And uh, two of them are kind of relevant. One of them is kind of a hacky reason. So we'll start with uh, the first one. The first one is simply experience. We got Kenneth Murray a year under his belt. Guys like Trey Norwood, more comfortable probably in the secondary. And then the defensive line, as we've talked about already in this podcast, has some experience there and, and has some depth. Number two, Buki. I think the kid is going to be a true difference maker. And I think basically Buki as a defensive back is going to be better than anybody else Oklahoma had in the secondary last year. Obviously, there's some similar players, same players, but I think he's already an upgrade over everybody else. So just having him, I think, could make the defense better. And then the last one is kind of a hacky one, uh, but I think it's I think it's true. I mean, Oklahoma's defense can't get much worse than it was last season. It's just, I mean, there's just too much talent on the team for it to be that dreadful. And also the Big 12 this upcoming football season does not have the same kind of quarterback play that it had a year ago. So I think that could also help the defense a little bit too. They're not going to have to go up against the the Mason Rudolphs of the world. And even with even Kenny Hill, who is a, a, a fine, okay player. I mean, I'm, I'm not sure t- TCU has a quarterback. So even with Kenny Hill gone, that makes the maybe playing defense a little bit easier in the Big 12 as well. Uh, and it doesn't matter for OU, but of course, obviously Mayfield's gone as well. Yeah, and also, Lee, I want to bring up, because you bring up Buki as as one of the reasons why the defense could get better. 
that you know that that's not without precedent. Maybe not at Oklahoma, or at least since Tony Jefferson was there in 2010. It's not like he, you know, they were counting on him to to make the defense respectable. The defense at that time, they were still playing good defense as a program. But last year, Lee, there was a, there was another true freshman that came in and made a huge impact for a team in the SEC, and that was South Carolina with Jamias Williams, who when who came in, he was a true freshman. He's smaller than Buki. Um, was a was a top 100 recruit in the country. He came in and they they switched him over to Nickelback, and he he was basically the MVP of their defense last year. So it's not without precedent. It can happen. Um, and South Carolina had a good D last year. They're yeah, good. Yeah. So um, like I said, I I don't think improve. I don't think drastic improvement is going to ch- is going to come without a change of defensive philosophy. And, and I I I I mean that very seriously. I, I just I do not see. How they can how they can be a good defensive unit if they are going to play read and react defense? It's just not going mm-hmm. to happen, especially in the Big Twelve. Mm-hmm. Uh, speaking of Buki, the next question we have from Philip is simple: Is Buki a better player at corner, or is he better at safety? In our opinion, and I will uh, I'll tackle this one first. Um, you know, I think uh, a pair of really good lockdown cornerbacks can make a defense really good. That's that's not a secret. A lot of NFL teams, a lot of college teams, they're trying to recruit those those tall, rangy corners that can play man coverage and and take away a half a field. Uh, you know, the main reason for this is that both of those players can disrupt a quarterback's timing so much, which in turn allows other players on defense, you know, maybe to get to the quarterback, force a mistake, force them to do something they don't want to do, or it makes teams get away from certain principles they might have on offense that they would otherwise adhere to. Um, so that being said, I think Buki, I think he'd he'd be an awesome cornerback. I think that's that's where he would excel. I think he's probably a better corner than a safety. But the way this current Oklahoma team is constituted, I think it makes sense to me that he'd be more effective at safety because you got Parnell Motley, you got Trey Norwood. They're pretty good cornerbacks. Uh, who knows if those guys could be moved to play safety and also play it really well. Uh, I'd bet Buki is more flexible than those players back there playing safety. So therefore, my ultimate answer to the question, I guess, is that I think Buki would be a better cornerback, but I get why he's going to be playing uh, safety or nickelback uh, this year. What do you think, Grant? Yeah, I, I think he's, you know, that's the position he played in high school. That's probably the position he's most comfortable at is corner. I think he's more valuable as a rover, as a guy who's going to roam around the field, kind of like the uh, sort of act as the defense's Minka Fitzpatrick. I, I think that's where he's most valuable. And that's where he's going to be used, it looks like. More questions. We're going to go to the offensive side of the football here. And I think this is going to be a pretty easy one for us. And actually, this question was asked by a couple of listeners. Any threat of Austin Kendall transferring? Now it says when Kyler Murray wins the job. Murray's probably going to win the job. But for the question's sake, if Murray wins the job, basically, is there any threat of Kendall transferring? Grant, what do you think? Um. I think the I think the threat is there. Um, logically, it does not make sense if you were to do it, but there's obviously other factors that would go into it. Um, I have no idea what's going on in Austin Kendall's head. Um, I think you know, of course, he would have to sit out next next season um, if he were to, or he'd have to sit out this season if he were to transfer um, to play next year. It just logically doesn't make any sense. I, I think he's going to stay, but of course you never know what's going through his head. He might, he might feel slighted if he doesn't win the job and, and maybe just would want a fresh start. Although it just, it, you know, it's going to be the same thing. He's not, he, he's not going to play this year anyway. So it, it almost makes sense just to, you know, Hey, 
just sort of swallow your pride and say, Hey, I'll, I'm, I'm going to be the starting quarterback here for two straight years. And you know, if he's, if he's lucky or if, it, if, if, if things materialize, like it looks like they are with recruiting, um, he's going to quarterback the two most talented teams Oklahoma's had since the 2008 team. So I think it would behoove him to stay around. Yeah, I agree with all that stuff. It just doesn't make any sense for him to transfer if he does not win the starting job because the simple thing too is, yeah, I mean, he knows that Murray's going to be gone. So therefore he'd have the next two seasons. And why would you give up the opportunity to play quarterback in a Lincoln Riley offense for two seasons. When you saw what Baker Mayfield did with this offense, you know, who knows what Kyler Murray or, I mean, if something crazy happens and Austin Kendall actually wins that job, you know, who knows what they do with it too. It's just, like you said, he'll have to sit out this year anyways if he transfers. There's not a better offensive situation in the country to go to other than Oklahoma. So I, I you made a good point. We're not in his head. So if there's a scenario where he doesn't win the job and he does feel slighted and he doesn't feel like the coaching staff has given him a fair shot and he really doesn't want a fresh start, even though it's going to be somewhere where it's not going to be uh, as offensively gifted and smart as Oklahoma. I mean, that's maybe the only reason why he would transfer if he, if it was a, such a personal thing. But other than that, it just doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense for him to, to move on. Yeah. And, at, uh, yeah. At this point in time, I, I would, I would think that if he were to transfer, if Kyler Murray wins a job, it would probably be for reasons not necessarily related um, to his prospects at Oklahoma in the future. They, they would they would most likely be an emotional decision. Just I, that's that's how I look at it um, from just from a logical standpoint. It just it doesn't make any sense. If 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 he likes Oklahoma and likes being here, it doesn't make any sense for him to leave. All right, let's get to Sydney's questions from earlier this year, back in June, that we uh, we kind of. Kind of forgot about, so again, I apologize for that, Sydney, but we'll get to him now. So the first one, this is like an all-encompassing OU question, and Grant and I will probably touch on this stuff kind of as we get closer to the season. In fact, today, actually, Grant, I was kind of going through uh, what the possible rundown will look like for our big season preview show where we're going to predict all of our uh, leading rusher, leading receiver, all that fun stuff, and I'm and I'm open to any other ideas. Maybe we'll ask the... Uh, the listeners, if they have any other ideas for predictions they want for a big preview show that we'll have uh, the week of uh, Oklahoma's first game leading up to the Oklahoma's first game against Florida Atlantic. So anyways, to Sydney's question, he wants to know what's the best and the worst case scenarios this season for Oklahoma. So we can go a lot of ways with this. Let's start with uh, best case scenario. Obviously, the best case scenario is Oklahoma wins a national championship. Kyler Murray is as good as everyone thinks he's going to be. He comes in, runs Lincoln, Lincoln Riley's offense flawlessly, but also with a little bit of a different kind of flair that Baker Mayfield had that maybe Mayfield couldn't utilize because Murray's more athletic and he has more running ability than Baker had. Uh, and also it's just the defense is steady. It doesn't cost him games. It doesn't force the offense to have to win so many games for Oklahoma. So therefore they complement each other incredibly well. Oklahoma runs the table and maybe they even get a rematch with Georgia or something like that in the playoff and they get back and knock knock off Georgia which you know if that would happen that'd be that'd be amazing but either way if they got to the playoff that'd be great and goes on to win a national title the best case scenario is always the easiest one to do because Oklahoma is a team that can win the national championship they have the horses to do so uh, it's all just about how would they go about doing it I think it's pretty clear it'd be kind of similar to last year with you have a quarterback that is very very good not going to be as good as Baker Mayfield, but a quarterback that runs the offense very well, runs, passes, nice even amount, keeps defenses honest on their toes. 
But different from last year, you have a defense, though, that plays, uh, plays better complementary defense and lifts up the offense a little bit more. I think that's the best-case scenario. Do you have anything that you want to add to the best-case scenario, Grant? Yeah, I mean, best-case scenario is basically Kyler Murray is second coming of Johnny Manziel in this offense. Um, if that is the case, the offense will be generally unstoppable. Um, a lot of people are forgetting that Rodney Anderson is also on this offense. Um, best case scenario would involve him obviously having a monster season. I mean, yeah, they, this is best case scenario is that the offense continues to just be a complete monster. Um, and that the guys that they need to step up on defense. So basically I'm thinking, um, you know, uh, Neville Gallimore, Kenneth Murray and Buki are kind of the three key guys they need uh, to have big seasons. If they all have if, if they have big seasons and the defense is going to at least be respectable, and if you pair that with with an elite offense, you know, then you can kind of start dreaming. So, yeah, that, that's clearly the best case scenario. I, the best case scenario is that Kyler Murray is just so dynamic and so elite that he carries the team to the national championship. That's the best case scenario. Period. Worst case scenario. We can go a lot of ways with this one. So, I think the worst case scenario is quarterback is not is not as good as we hope it's going to be now we all don't expect it to be as good obviously as baker mayfield that's that's ridiculous but i think the general consensus is that even no matter who it is austin kendall or kyler murray the guy playing quarterback for oklahoma is going to be a high level throw over the football a good decision maker and somebody who runs the offense very well mainly because both of them are very talented, and also the guy calling the plays is a freaking genius. So I think worst-case scenario is that the quarterback situation is not as good as we think it's going to be, and there's turnovers, and there's not very much clutch play, or maybe there's a leadership uh, a, a leadership deficit because we all know Baker Mayfield was such a good leader. Uh, and it just they just don't have it maybe you know they play some close games but they just don't have it to get them over the hump to win those close games kind of like they did last year when they they had close games close win against texas uh they had to come back and they had the close win against kansas state in manhattan you know they don't just have it i think that's that's the worst case scenario on offense of course you can always throw injuries and their injuries screw everything up you know that that just kind of goes without saying defensively the defense plays kind of the way grant you are are hoping they don't play and they continue that read and react style where they're not letting uh, they're not dictating to the offense what they're going to do they're just letting the offense kind of make the call and then they're going to react to it and then we just have another season of pulling our hair out and maybe we'll have a couple good games here and there but for the most part when they need to play really well it's like gosh this defense just cannot get it done uh and then they they end up you know they they lose games where going in they shouldn't lose. Oklahoma shouldn't lose those games. And, of course, maybe they lose games where it's a go-either-way game and they lose that one as well, you know, and they end up finishing with three or four losses, maybe even more, and it's just an incredibly disappointing season. That is that is the worst-case scenario. Anything else you want to add to that? Yeah, I'll put a little <laughs> bow on it. Just uh, Worst-case scenario is the exact same worst-case scenario that they've had in the three quote-unquote down years um, of the Stoops-Riley regime. Uh, those down years being 2005, 2009, and 2014. Um, the exact same thing happened in all in all three of those seasons. Uh, quarterback inconsistency coupled with injuries coupled with a surprisingly brutal schedule that was not foreseen before the season started. Um, that's worst case scenario. Um, and if they have a down year, that's going to be why. Um, and I, you know, you can kind of check all the boxes. Those are all, those all could apply. Injuries, you never know. Uh, quarterback effectiveness, I don't think that's going to be an issue, but 
We didn't think that was going to be an issue in 2014 with Trevor Knight coming off that Sugar Bowl win. Um, and a brutal schedule, an unforeseen brutal schedule. I think this this um, this schedule sets up almost perfectly for that, um, especially with Florida Atlantic, who, who I think is a team um, that can win 10 games. They're going to go into the Conference USA and blow out everybody. Um, Army is a team that won nearly 10 games last year. UCLA with Chip Kelly, we, we have no idea. And it always kind of seems like in, in, in Big 12 seasons when Oklahoma is just is the is the unquestioned favorite, you know, last year, notwithstanding, there always seems to be some teams that come out of nowhere and have elite teams in 2014. I'm thinking of, of TCU. So, um, it's, uh, interesting for sure, but that's, 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 that's the worst case scenario. It, it always is Uh quarterback inconsistency, injuries, unforeseen, brutal schedule. The next question from Sydney that, uh, that we again, forgot to answer a couple months ago. Sorry again. Another all-encompassing question. I think we've already kind of answered it, uh, but we'll just pose the question and then add any more thoughts in case we haven't, uh, if we, in case we've missed something. Sydney asks: Is a return to the playoff possible, or is it unrealistic because Oklahoma lost too many pieces? I think, of course, it's it's obviously possible. One hundred percent possible. They they have yeah. a better yeah they have a better chance to go back to the playoffs this year than they did in two thousand sixteen. I think coming off their first playoff berth. Yeah, it, and the. And not to belittle the question, uh, that, sorry, that's, I didn't want to come off as that. Uh, I mean, losing Baker Mayfield's massive. I mean, a lot of programs would lose a quarterback like that, and it would be like, oh, my gosh, what's going to happen this season? So that's the big one. But the fact that Oklahoma is so talented on offense and they have a coach like Lincoln Riley, and again, you know, I mean, he's only had Baker Mayfield. He's only had Mayfield as his, as his quarterback at Oklahoma. This is the first time that he will not have Mayfield in that quarterback room, so – that's a big question mark, but uh, I think we've seen a lot of evidence that Lincoln Riley knows what he's doing, and he's a really good offensive guy. So uh, this is something I was thinking about today, Grant, and this might be just a fun exercise to have right now, and, and maybe we'll change our minds in a month or so. But uh, I was listening to a podcast, and, and they were just saying, they were asking, if you had to predict right now, who would be your playoff teams? Do you have a, a Final Four that I you will, would predict right now? I will absolutely give it a shot. I love these questions, man. Let's do this. Um, Alabama is almost certainly going to be in the playoff. Uh, they've been in all of them. They also have an unbelievably easy schedule for a team like Alabama. Um, let's see here. Um, I think Clemson is almost in that category too. They have a pretty light schedule, even though the ACC overall is is a pretty tough conference. Um, you know, Clemson just I, I, Clemson's not going to give up any points this year. So um, Alabama and Clemson, I think you can go ahead and pencil them in. After that, it gets interesting. Um, I, I, I think Oklahoma is going to make the playoff. I, I think they're going to run through the Big 12 fairly easily, to be honest with you. Um, at least that's what I think in July. And then I'm going to go ahead and throw it. I think Wisconsin is going to is going to come out of the Big 10. Oh, my gosh. Wow, that was a – okay, that's a fun yeah, one. So I, Alabama, uh, Clemson, Oklahoma, and Wisconsin. I think the only uh, – Wisconsin will be the only new team in the playoff this year. So hear that. If you're in Vegas, go to Vegas and throw down some money on Wisconsin to go to the playoff. I bet that's a, you get some pretty good odds with that. Make some money. Um, my final four at this point, uh, two of the same. Actually, three of the same. I think uh, Bama and Cle- – I mean, you got to always do Bama just because of history, and they're always in it. They've made every playoff. And, yeah, that schedule is – it's just – it's such a joke. It really is. I mean, yeah, they'll have some, some days where you're like, ah, that's actually a pretty tough game. But overall, man, it's just – I mean, two of the games were always just like a cupcake. And then, yeah, and they only play four true road games. So 
we'll have yeah, more the, time to talk about the this SEC as a conference has completely figured out how to game the college football scheduling system. Yeah. And there's a lot of people who, pretty, who would, ugh, yeah. And you know, you're going to do gross. it too, but I no, Oh, you just needs to do the same thing. It's, it's completely legal. Do it. This is, this is how you do. I mean, I don't, it's, they're not breaking any rules. So I, I don't understand why that, why you don't just do it. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I have Bama, uh, Clemson as well. Just, even though they have a huge question mark at quarterback, uh, just I mean, we referred so much to the defense. The defense is going to be really good, and the ACC, I you know, it's just none of those teams. Yeah, it's I guess top to bottom, there's depth, but top to bottom, there's no there's no atrocious teams in the ACC. Yeah, it's just but like you got Miami is like their second best team, and you know how how lucky Miami got last season. I can't. What's their quarterback's name again? He he's not very good. Uh, Rogier. Yeah, he's just he's just not I mean, yeah, experience a year under his belt, maybe he'll be better, but he just he's not a very accurate passer, which is ridiculous. And they just got so lucky with so many turnovers and their defense last season and it finally caught up with them when they lost a, a bad Virginia team late in the season. So uh but I'm pretty sure they play Miami on the road, Clemson. I'm pretty sure they play Florida State on the road. DeAndre Francois will be back, but I'm not sold on Willie Taggart as a good coach at all. That was that so, was a a really bad hire by Florida State. And I, that was just mystified that I saw all the blue check mark media people just talking about how great of a hire that was for Florida State. Terrible. I guess hire. we'll find out. I guess we'll find out. But guys, I guys had one winning season on in his entire coaching career. Just that's, not a good. That's hire. not good. That's not good. Uh, so yeah, I got Clemson, Bama. I think OU's going to make it as well in July. I think Oklahoma's going to make it, and a lot of people aren't predicting OU to make it, which that's fair because Mayfield's gone, and you know there's there's question marks there. Uh, my fourth team, it's boring. I I'm going to go with Ohio State because Ohio State has made it a lot of the times. They missed out. I think for the was it the first time they've missed out on it last year. Uh, uh, no, maybe, they they weren't in okay. it, and uh, they missed oh, okay. out on it in, in 2015. Remember they had the they had the team that was back that had everybody back, but they lost to Michigan State. Okay. And the, okay. that a really kind of average Michigan State team that somehow made the playoff and got oh, gosh, just yeah, eviscerated yeah. by Alabama. I'll just go with Ohio State, even though I'm I'm not 100 percent confident in it. And I'll, there's two reasons why this this whole thing with uh, with Urban Meyer and the assistant coach that's that's kind of bad juju with me. Uh, just any sort of like sidebar story like that these days is just I'm not a big fan of. I don't, I don't. I mean that could have nothing to do with the season. It could have a little bit to do with the season. I just think it's bad karma. And also too, this one can go either way. They lose JT Barrett, but you and I both know JT Barrett really wasn't that good. So is this next guy going to be better than Barrett? I mean, there's a good chance he could be better than Barrett because again, Barrett wasn't that good of a quarterback. Okay, so it's come like, on. okay. Let's like let's not. He was not. He was limited, but he was a very good college quarterback. He had a bad game against Oklahoma. He had a lot of really good games in college. He, he was. He did not strike fear into anybody's heart. He was limited. He was limited. He he was not. He was not going to beat you like on a sixty-yard bomb, and he's not going to fit it in a tight window. But I mean, he's he, he was a really really good college quarterback. He won a lot of games. He was a nice player, but he he's not very good. He cannot throw accurately the football. And he, but hey, he'll always have that Penn State comeback. So good for him on that. He'll always have that where he was awesome for the second half of that game against Penn State last year, and, and brought him back for that for that W. Thought, but he was I, atrocious against Iowa. I thought, yeah, I thought JT Barrett was 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 almost the perfect quarterback to run the Urban Meyer gimmicky offense. He's the perfect quarterback to run it. Him and like the him and Sam yeah. Ellinger. Oh gosh. Yeah, the uh, the trendy one of the trendy Heisman picks right now that has long a long shot odds, but is getting a lot of pub is Dwayne Haskins, the new quarterback, because 
Ohio State's got a lot of talent. They could be in the championship uh, picture, and it's a quarterback award now. So, hey, Dwayne Haskins is whatever. I can't remember what his odds are, but, hey, throw money on him. And uh, that's not crazy. That's not a crazy bet, but I – I remember Dwayne Haskins in the one game he played last year. Sure, it was one game. It's a small sample size, but he didn't do a whole lot for me in that game either. I think it was the Michigan game, wasn't it? You think he played against Michigan? That Michigan? He was fine. He was, he was Michigan fine. Had, he was a, has a really good defense. Michigan he was had a one of the best defense in the country. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, maybe maybe he'll be good. Maybe he won't. But, uh, yeah, it's just I think you, you kind of alluded to it a second ago. The, the Ohio State quarterbacks never asked to do a whole lot. They're just able – they're supposed to just kind of game manage. So, yeah. And, you know, Haskins Haskins is more of a runner than Barry. He's, he's more of kind of a shifty, twitchier guy than Barrett was. So, I mean, you know, Ohio State's freaking stacked. I mean, they're they're by far the most talented team in the Big in the Big Ten. Um, you know, I, I, on paper, they're obviously a better team than Wisconsin. I'm just I, – I, for whatever reason, I, just, I got a feeling about Wisconsin this year for some reason. I think they're going to make it. So you think that Alex Hornerbrook's going to lead a team to the playoff? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, this that wouldn't <laughs> okay. be I, okay. I'm sorry, Kelly Bryant freaking led a team to the playoff. Alex Hornerbrook is better than Kelly Bryant, so I'm. Is Wisconsin's defense going to be as good as Clemson's though? Sure, they got a well, really no. good defensive coordinator. No, but there that helps. It, it's but not going to be as man. it's not going to be as good as Clemson's. But I mean, Wisconsin like pretty much brings back everybody on offense. They bring everybody back on their offensive line. Jonathan Taylor's back. Yeah. Um, Quentin Cephas, who was who was actually like the first legitimate dynamic receiver that Wisconsin's ever had. He got hurt uh, like three quarters of the way through uh, last season and he almost had a thousand yards. Rece- I mean, th- he's back. Um, yeah. I mean this on paper, this is this on paper. This is the best Wisconsin team since the Russell Wilson team. Um, yeah. I, I just, I, I'm, I'm going to take them because Ohio state is kind of they're you know, they don't have a ton of experience at the quarterback Gosh. position and, I, I think eventually Wisconsin is going to break through because they just they've been too good of a program for the last decade. I think they're going to, they're going to break through eventually. That's a really good off the radar pick there. I, I mean, and also too the whole the big knock on Wisconsin last season was their schedule was so bad and it's it's bad again this year. They're, yeah, uh, Wisconsin is going to be in the Big Ten championship game with an opportunity to go to the playoff if they win. So I'm just I'm just throwing it against the wall now and saying that they're going to win that play-in game. That's all I'm saying. Here's Wisconsin's non-conference schedule. Western Kentucky, New Mexico, BYU. They have a road game in November at Penn State, and they got a road game in October at Michigan. And then they got Nebraska at home, but it's the first year with Scott Frost, so they probably won't be all as good as they could be. And yeah, and Wisconsin that's, needs that's to That's it. Yeah, and Wisconsin yeah. needs to get Nebraska now because Nebraska is gonna is gonna control that division in about two or three years. That'll be fun to watch. We'll see what Frost can do. Uh, last question. Uh, I think this could be a pretty quick one to end on. This is from um, Sydney. Sydney actually asked this today, so this is a brand new this week question. Is this a do or die season for one Mike Stoops and? I think the simple answer to that question is it's got to be. It's got to be because now he's got his back-to-back top 10 recruiting classes. He's got a guy like Buki in there. He's a, he's a, he's a coach who said that, that he needs talented players, and Lincoln Riley has paired to that. He said that we need to get more talent on defense. You get more talent. I, I know they're, they're bringing in more and more talent with these recruiting classes and stuff like that, but if after what happened in 2017 and what happened in 2016, how bad the defense was those two seasons 
a third year of that kind of defense where they're allowing, you know, what is it, more than five yards per play, 5.5 yards per play, and allowing, you know, you know, 20, 30 points, and they're getting gashed on the ground by, by certain teams running the ball. I mean, that Oklahoma State game was just ridiculous. Justice Hill just destroyed him on the ground. And, I mean, another year of that, I just I can't imagine – Mike Stoops surviving another year like that. So I'm going to say, yes, it's a do or die season. Yeah. You know, I, because I, 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 I'll be honest with you. I, I was surprised that he retained his job after the Rose bowl. That, that surprised me. Um, and I, I'm generally the type of person who, who kind of tries to be a little, you know, I don't try to call for people's jobs that, that aggressively, um, very surprised he kept his job after the Rose Bowl. So I honestly just don't know. I don't know where he stands in this program. Um, I thought the defensive performance over the course of last season was unacceptable for a program of this stature. Um, so I'm. We'll see. I can say I can say one thing that if he if if he rolls out this defense with the same philosophy as last year, trying to do the exact same thing and and expect to get different results. Then yeah, I mean he he's gonna lose his job. The there there needs to be some very very distinct philosophical changes in how they play defense. Will he do it? I don't know because his job depends on it. Or unless unless he's really just counting on on Parnell Motley, Trey Norwood, and uh, and, and Buki to play amazing man coverage to save his ass. That's that's all I have to say about that. Yeah, I I think there really is a uh, a scenario where. 10 years from now maybe even before that we all look back and we you know we might even be doing it right now now that i think about it we're going to look back on the last three years maybe just to be fair the last two years because the first year was kind of a surprise and think oklahoma had baker mayfield for those three seasons and made two playoff trips but never won a playoff game and never won a national title and they oklahoma <laughs> had that kind of talent and a big reason why they weren't able to really get where they wanted to go ultimately was because the defense for two of those three years was just absolutely trash. And that's sad. That's really sad when you look at other programs around the country. It seems like a team like Clemson, like where you dogged on Clemson's offense all year last year, and it came back and it bit them in the championship in the in the playoff. But it's like a team with a, an offense like that can still survive with a really really good defense. But, man, for whatever reason, Oklahoma was able to flip the script in 2017 and somehow get as far as it could with just a, a very much below-average defense and still almost, almost won a playoff game and almost made it to the, the national title game. It's just it, – it's really – it stings. It stings that Oklahoma was never able to bring one home. So. Yeah, and I want to I end on this just because I'm, I'm glad you brought it up um, because I, I think we all look back in retrospect on that 2008 team and feel very similar things. Um, this is something that I told you, um, and, and this, uh, going back to this because ESPN just released their list of like the ranking, the, the 20, the last 20 national champions or whatever. And that kind of brought up another, other debates because the 2005 Texas team was on there and we can, maybe that's something we can talk about, uh, next weekly is just kind of, you know, maybe a fun freewheeling college football discussion. Uh, but, um, that just reminded me of how good the the 2008 Oklahoma team was because that 2008 Florida team came up in that uh, pretty highly, um, and it just made me think, Lee, that you know the the S and P system that I like so much and that I respect so much. Um, 2008 Oklahoma team per S and P is the third best college football team of all time. 
Um, and wow. I'm, yeah. And, um, and, and it's, it's because they were, it's because they were, when they won, they were the most dominant team ever. It is, that's, that's pretty much why when they won. Um, so it's, uh, looking back on that season still stings quite a bit. And, uh, I, I'm just, I'm glad you brought it up just because I, I want to, that, I think that is certainly an instance. Um, I've said it. I've said it once on this podcast, I'll say it again. Uh, that was Bob Soup's best team. The 2008 team was absolutely unbelievably good. And unfortunately, they had to have that team in, an, in a historically unbelievably good season of college football. There were, I think per S&P, there were four teams that season that were in the top 20 of all time, of the best teams of all time. So that's, um, that, that, that one hurts. Uh, but anywho, um, and also Lee, you brought up. Uh, I, I I just want to bring it up one more time with uh, best case and worst case scenario because this is actually what was what I was trying to say. I think best case scenario Oklahoma this year looks a whole lot like uh, a 2010 Oregon team that played in the national championship game, a team that is just really explosive on offense, has a defense that that takes advantage of mistakes, uh, gets a lot of sacks, and turns the ball over a lot. I think that's their best case scenario. Oh, interesting. It's always nice to have those those comps. You can kind of kind of put your finger on it. You can you can watch back and think, huh, what did that 2010 Oregon team look like? Yeah, they were pretty good. They didn't win a national title, but yeah, they were pretty good. They were very close to winning one. The mm-hmm. um, whatever I can't even remember what the running back's name was yet, but everyone go back and watch it. That was a really really good fourth quarter of that national championship game. All right, uh, that is it for our show this week. Oklahoma will have. Some fall camp practices under its belt by the time we record the show next week. So until then, for Grant, I am Lee. This is West of Everest.